Good morning. So happy to be here with you. Um, thanks, Zach, for that introduction. I was a part of this church for 20 years, from age 11 to about 31. I was here at Community Heights, and it, it's good to be here back with you. They didn't let me get up here too often back then, but I'm happy to have this opportunity. Um, like, like Zach said, my wife and I, my wife Kim, were called to Tanzania a few years ago, and we were there for almost three years, and then God called us to Maine. And I'm working in Maine now with the Navigators, doing collegiate ministry, and we've seen God do some really neat things at the University of Southern Maine. We've also had the privilege to be a part of a church plant in Brunswick, Maine, and that's been just for the last 15 months or so, and it's been really fun to watch God work in that. And I'm going to tell more about, about those things as I share um, this message um, in this message, I'm going to share my story, and I'm going to share some of the things God's doing, and some of the things God's been teaching me over the past few years, and especially over the past few weeks. Um, in a lot of ways, this is the message I needed to hear 15 years ago when I was sitting in these pews. And, and I hope that some of you are, can relate to my story, and are, and are challenged by what God has been teaching me. So I want to talk about Experiencing and participating in the gospel. Experience and participate in the gospel. Growing up in church, I would often hear sermons like the one Brian preached last week. For those of you that weren't here, he preached from Ephesians 4, 17 to 32. And that passage describes the, the way that those without God live, and it challenges to put on the new self. That you would be new in Christ. And I would listen to a message like that and I would agree with all that was said. Yeah, that, that needs that. Those people really need that message. And I would hear the descriptions of the old self and I would self righteously check off, don't do that, not that, that one's not me, no, I'm good. And I would hear the description of the new self. Yeah, yeah, got that one. Oh, I'm really good at that one. And despite being constantly exposed to the truth of God's word, I somehow managed to deceive myself into thinking that I basically had everything figured out and that I was doing almost everything right. I knew the Bible says all have sinned. And I knew that I had sinned. I mean, I admitted I'd sinned at least twice. I say that half-joking, but half-serious, because that was my attitude. Um, I want to borrow a few words from last week's message in, in Ephesians 4, 17 through 19. And I'm not going to read it, but you can refer to it as I, as I talk. As I sought after a high standing in the Christian community that I was immersed in, I didn't see the futility of my mind. I didn't see my ignorance. I didn't see the hardness of my heart. I didn't see my own impurity and greediness. Those things were there, I just didn't see them. Like I said, I checked it off, like, oh, I'm good, I'm good. And moving ahead to um, verses 29 to 31. The challenge is to, to build one another up with the wor words. But in my pride, I looked down on others who I thought didn't follow God as well as I did. 
As a result, I didn't have words that built others up and gave them grace, as we're challenged in the passage. I was more interested in condemning them for their sin. And I hope I didn't express the slander and malice toward others that I know I had in my thinking. These things weren't intentional. I hope they weren't very outward, but they were there. I think verse 32 from Ephesians 4 sums up what I was missing. It says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. See, when I saw myself as barely having anything to be forgiven for, I didn't really know how to forgive others. I probably tried to appear kind, but I certainly wasn't tender-hearted toward others. And there were many verses in the Bible that spoke to my mess, but I missed that they were talking about me. Let's look at a few of those. Psalm 101, verse 5 says, Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. No one who has a haughty look and an arrogant heart will I endure. That was me, arrogant heart. God says, I won't endure it. In Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, there's a list of things that are an abomination to God. Look at the first one on the list. Haughty eyes. The way that I looked at others was with haughty eyes. I thought I was better than others. Proverbs 16, 2. All the ways of man are clean in his own sight, but the Lord weighs the motives. See, I was in church doing the right thing, but my motive was to look good in the community I was in, to have high standing. My motive wasn't to make the name of Jesus great. Verse 5. Everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Assuredly, he will not be unpunished. That word abomination is a pretty strong word. You're not bad or even awful. It's an abomination. And then Jesus tells a story in Luke 18, 9 through 14, that, again, hits, hits hard. I look at this story and just squirm when I think about the way I used to be. He told, Jesus told the parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. How many times have I prayed that? God, I thank you that I'm not like that person who's in that mess, doing that thing. We have reality TV shows that we just sit there and do that, right? Jesus warned, Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. All these passages were speaking to me. I heard them. I read them. I missed their meaning. When I look back at the pride that I had and who I was and the pride that's still in me, I wonder, why did God put up with me? Why? Why? Did he not humble me 
in the way that I deserved and just leave me in a heap of disgrace. And I've been amazed at God's mercy. Instead of doing that, he showed me the air of my ways gently. More than that, he endured a brutal humiliation so that I didn't have to. I'm amazed at God's grace. Why would he choose to love a cocky kid like me? Why would he have allow me to have a role in drawing others to himself? Others, the very people that, that I thought were so far beneath me. That's the gospel. That's the good news of what Jesus does for us. I fall so far short of the goodness of God that I deserve to be fully rejected by him. Instead, he still loves me enough to send his son, Jesus. Jesus lived all the goodness of God that I missed. Then he was rejected by God so that I could be accepted. More than accepted. Loved, cared for, a fully adopted child of God. And as Zach said, we celebrate Father's Day and, and think of the Father that is the, the Father of us all that loves us and cares for us and is a perfect example of fatherhood. He made me part of his family. Why would he do that for me? I don't know. This gospel, this good news is for each of us. Each of our messes may look a little bit different. Some of us are really good at hiding our mess, like, like I was. But we all have a mess. And Jesus died so that each one of us could be restored to a right relationship with him. Jesus died to make each of our messes right again. That's the gospel. And I'm so thankful that God's allowed me to experience the gospel in a, in a new and deep way in that I've been able to see the mess that I was in. And that has helped me to see his love, to experience his love. Have you experienced the gospel? Have you experienced the good news of Jesus' love for you? Let's look at Ephesians 4.32 again. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Now that I recognize the abominations that I've been forgiven for, it's easy to forgive the few little rules I see others breaking. When my heart experiences the love of God that he sent through Jesus, even knowing all the filth that is in me. It's easy to be tender-hearted toward others, toward those around me that are making a mess. So experiencing the gospel is the key to life, first of all, but it's also the key to seeing others well.
My prayer is that we all experience the gospel and that we all continue experiencing the gospel more and more fully. Even those of us that have been here for decades, that we continue experiencing the gospel more and more fully. But let's not stop there. We're also called to participate in the gospel. I'm so thankful that God has, has called me to participate in advancing the gospel in Maine. I've been continually amazed at what God's been doing in Maine, especially this past year. This past year was my first year as campus director with the Navigators at the University of Southern Maine. So last summer, I spent a lot of time in prayer and planning, you know, thinking, how can we do a good job of, of, as, a, as a college group this year? And so I made lots of plans. I planned Bible studies, and I planned curriculum, and student leader meetings, and all of my plans failed. People didn't show up for Bible studies, couldn't get student leaders' schedules to line up to actually have a meeting. They all failed. Remember that pride issue? God mercifully allowed all my plans to fail so that I wouldn't take pride in my skills as a minister. Yet, God in his grace and in his power did amazing things in our group this year. He answered our prayer for several new freshman men. He brought new people into our group. He grew and matured the people that were there. He gave us a great community where the students love each other and care for each other, the staff love each other and care for each other. We genuinely enjoy being together. God blessed us immense, immensely. The most amazing thing God did is that we saw three seniors who have been around our group for three or four years come to know him this past semester. As far as I know, two of them came from completely non-Christian homes. And one was an estranged Catholic. None of them were looking for Jesus. But God brought them into our group and kept them around until they finally gave their lives to Jesus. I want to tell Ricky's story. On our spring break trip in 2017, um, it would have been March last year, a young lady named Jordan was here. I brought our group here on our way down to Tennessee for our spring break, break trip. A young lady named Jordan got to share her story here at Community Heights. A few of you may remember her. At the time, she was a senior and planning to come on staff with the Navigators, and she did come on staff on my team. And her first semester on staff this past fall was, was pretty difficult for her. She struggled to find people to meet with her. As a fairly new believer, she was, was a little uh, insecure about leading others in in the walk with Christ. Uh, she felt inadequate. And there were other reasons. But over the past few years, Jordan has been praying for her friend Ricky, her best friend, as she calls her. Both Jordan and Ricky attended their first time back in 2014 after being invited by another girl who also didn't know Jesus yet. I think the same girl invited Riley, who was one of the other ones that accepted Christ. But this year, when Ricky agreed to come to our winter conference, Jordan started praying even more fervently that God would bring her to know him. And she invited her friends to pray. We prayed along with her. And God answered those prayers. 
The Spirit moved mightily, and Ricky put her faith in Jesus at the Winter Conference. And Jordan has had the opportunity to walk alongside her in her new faith. And she's so excited because her friend, best friend now shares the best thing about her life in a relationship with Jesus. And Ricky was baptized this past Easter Sunday. Both Ricky and Jordan invited their parents to come be a part of that service. And they're praying that their parents will come to know Jesus too. Riley and Ian have similarly miraculous stories of coming to know him after years of being around our group. It's so amazing to see God work in those around us, to bring those that are far off into his family. In our church plan also, we've seen incredible growth. We've watched God grow Hope Church from nine people to almost 115 months. Almost every week, there are new people. Where do these people come from? What are you doing here? I've, I've asked that almost, not quite that rudely, I don't think, but where'd you come from? And many of them are sticking around. And the neat thing is the majority of them are either unchurched or were going to church out of their community, driving 30, 40 minutes to go to church. In addition to providing people that love Jesus and are gifted in a variety of ways to really serve the body of Christ, God's brought several people to know him there at Hope Church. We have a small group that's led and attended by all new believers. It's really neat. We have a really sweet older lady that came to Christ as a part of our church, and she's being discipled by another lady, but she's leading a small group with several young believers in that small group. Acts 2.47 says, And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. I've seen that verse a lot of times, but I've never really seen that happen. Yet it seems like God's doing almost that. Maybe not day by day, but week by week. God's bringing people to himself. God's moving in an incredible way in Maine. I've been reflecting this summer on the way that God's been moving. God's brought me to 1 Corinthians in my regular time with Tim. So I want to look at some of what God's been teaching me in 1 Corinthians this morning. In 1 Corinthians, Paul addresses the way the Corinthians were arguing about doctrine and which Christian leader they were following. He addresses sexual impurity. And then in chapter 8, he introduces a new section. In uh, chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, it says, Now concerning the things sacrificed to idols, and you can insert whatever the controversial topic of the day is there, because that was their controversy, sacrificing things to idols. Some thought it was, you had to avoid it completely. Some thought, you know, Christ fixes it. It's okay. Paul says, We know that we all have knowledge, Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. If anyone supposes that he knows anything, he is not yet known as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. Here's another passage that I'm sure I read, but missed the meaning. 
can't tell you how much time I spent searching the Bible for verses to prove that my view was right and that yours was stupid. It's accumulating knowledge. My ego grew. My love for God, not so much. Notice what this verse says is important. If we really get it, if we really have the knowledge that we should have. Loving God and being known by Him. How often do we try to make it so much more complicated than that? I want to skip ahead to chapter 9. In verse 12. I think verse 12 kind of ties chapter 9 into the, the bigger topic that, that Paul's talking about. Paul says... If others share the right over you, do, not, do we not more? Nevertheless, we did not use this right, but we endure all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. In the first half of chapter 9, Paul gives logical and biblical reasoning for his rights, what he had the right to. But then in this verse he says, I didn't even use, I'm not even using the right. Why? He did not want to hinder the gospel. He didn't want anything to get in the way of the gospel going out. He wanted others to experience the love of Jesus that he experienced. We all have a right to our opinions. We have a right to free speech. We have a right to our doctrinal views. We have a right to our political views. Could go on. We have a lot of rights. But how many relationships or conversations are ended by our strongly stated views? How often do we offend those who are far from Jesus before we ever get to tell them about his love? I think that one of the reasons that we've been able to reach those that are far off from Jesus is that we're not broadcasting strong stances on controversial issues. I'm not saying that we don't have convictions. I'm saying that we want to give up our right to be right so that the conversation can continue. So that the relationship can continue until the love of Jesus is shared in word and deed. I'll share my opinion but only in relationship after there's no doubt about God's love and about my love for that person. I love watching how well my boss, Russ, does this. I've been trying to follow his example in this. But I see so many people around me hurt by things that Christians say, things that Christians post on social media. And they don't want to continue the conversation with us. But think about it. We follow Jesus, who was literally right in everything that he did. Yet, he gave up his right to be right by taking all of my wrong on himself and paying the ultimate price for it.
when are we going to stop fighting for our rights and start fighting for those for whom Jesus died? We did not use this right, but we endure all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Paul continues with even stronger language in verses 19 to 23 in chapter 9. For though I'm free from all men, I've made myself a slave to all so that I may win more. To the Jews, I became a Jew so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, as without the law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Paul is saying in this passage, he makes himself a slave. To who? To those who are without Jesus. Think about the implications of that. Being a slave to those who are without Jesus. Notice he's not giving up following Jesus in that. And he does a couple disclaimers in there to, to point that out. But note the goal that he states in every verse. So that I might win them for Jesus. So that they might experience the love of Jesus that Paul had experienced, that I've experienced, that many of us have experienced. He wants them to experience that same gospel, that same good news. And so he says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. Everything I do is so that others can hear, others can experience it. You think about what we give our life to as Christians and, and what lasts for eternity. I mean, I can give myself to studying the Bible and memorizing it, and I, and I want to do that. But the reality is, I'm going to understand things a lot better when I meet God. I'm going to figure out all those hard questions then. But what's here that's not going to be there is those that don't know Jesus. I want to take them with me. Paul says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. And notice that last part. So that I may become a fellow partaker in it, or of it. When we lovingly enter into people's messes, to other people's messes, and we help them to see the love of Jesus, and what he can do for them, we get to experience the gospel again in a new light. We get to see God's love and wisdom and Jesus' love in a whole new way. And we're even more amazed at the love of God through Jesus. We get to partake of it again as we see others come to experience it. Let's pray. God, as I stand in this place again, sit in these pews again,
Lord, I confess. I've wasted so much time within these walls arguing stupid little nuances of doctrine. I spent so much time searching for scriptures to back my view rather than seeking to know you. Lord, thank you for your scriptures. Thank you that they show us the love that Jesus has, the life that's available through Jesus. Lord, thank you that we can each experience the gospel, that you can take our mess, whatever it is, whether it's a really visible mess or like mine, a a mess within me that is just so much pride. You can take that mess and you can make it right again. Lord, for the times that I've heard other people in my pride said things that put them down, even thought things and that put them down. Lord, please forgive me. Please point those people to someone else that does a better job of showing them your love. Lord, I pray that you would help me, help each of us to continue experiencing your gospel in, in more and better ways. You would help us to see our mess for what it is but that you would help us to also see Jesus and see that he took all of that mess and it's gone. And that you offer us life. And that you also are willing to use us despite all the mess that we used to have. You use us to reach others, to share your love with others. What a joy it is to see others come to know the love and joy that we've experienced because of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would help me to to follow Paul's example in doing all things for the sake of the gospel. Everything so that others will know the love of Jesus. Lord, help each of us to, to do that. Help us to see those around us that are far from you. And help us not to look down on them, but to care for them, to be tenderhearted and forgiving. And show them Christ's love in word and deed. We pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.